Welcome to Sound Mind Sound Body Stories, a podcast powered by ASICS. I'm Tegan Nash, and this is a show for anyone and everyone on a mission to improve their health physically and mentally. My guest today is a powerhouse of talent and passion, which has led to an amazing career as an elite international sportswoman. She has 100 caps playing for Australia, two World Cup victories, including scoring the winning points in 2011, one Commonwealth Games gold medal, and has been the Australian team captain since 2017. Standing at 6'5", she has not always had the easiest journey to success. As a very lanky primary school pupil, she struggled with her height and how others treated her. To top it all off, she couldn't find shoes that would fit her, so she had to wear boys' shoes, which left her feeling excluded and very self-conscious. It was her introduction in year six to netball that started to change all that for our guest as she realized that her height was a distinct advantage and she hasn't looked back. I spoke to our guest from her home in New Zealand where she is currently playing for Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic. Here is my chat with Caitlin Bassett. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to hear your story. Thanks for having me. I always love having a chat and uh, hopefully sharing some words of wisdom and inspiring others. I want to start off where it all began. Was it always netball for you? Uh, it was, yeah, I guess. When I was young, I did horse riding. So probably from oh, about cool. six up until I was 14 or 15, I was actually really into horse riding. So didn't really play too many team sports before that. But when I was in primary school in year six, I was 11. I was, um, I was six foot tall, pretty much almost at that age. And so one of my sports teachers, wow. he was a netball coach in the local state league. And so he put a netball in my hand and put me down the defense end. So that's where it started. Yeah. You know, you see girls who are naturally talented, they can play different sports. And um, I've been having a chat to some of my new teammates here in New Zealand about some mm. of the things that they grew up doing. I never like was good at swimming or running or rowing or any of those type of things. I have to really work hard to do some of the basic things that some girls find so easy that just comes easily to them because they are athletic. So it's because it's something that I've been trained to do for many, many years. I don't think it's just something that has come naturally to me at all. And so a lot of the girls that I yeah. play with are actually really good at other sports. Some of them are actually really talented and could swap and go to different sports if they want to. They just stuck with netball because they loved it so much. And, you know, that's a pretty inspiring thing, especially now with lots of other female sports which are coming to the forefront. I want the girls that love netball to stick with netball. You know, sometimes when I do appearances, I get to meet um, some of the rugby girls and I say, you know, why did you choose this sport? And they said, oh, so I can go to the Olympics. I want people to play sport yeah. because they actually love the sport itself. And so, yeah, it's nice to to find that connection with other girls in your team. And, you know, you debuted at 16. Were there any struggles, especially balancing schoolwork with sport? How did you, how did you manage that? Uh, I think... My parents were really good at driving me around. It was stressful when I was first starting because I was in my last year of high school. I was doing my exams to go into university. I was really lucky that I had great teammates that were supportive mm. of me. So I would catch the bus after school and wait on the side of the road and one of my teammates would pick me up and take me to training. And then often after training, if I had school early the next day, they might let me stay at their house and make me lunch to go to school the next day. So I was lucky I had that support. But I think as well... I 
I just, I've always been someone that's been passionate about a lot of things. And so there was no way I was going to let this opportunity slip. I was excited to be there. I wanted to be there. It was really nerve wracking. I probably grew up very quickly playing against adults. I, my first game at the elite level was against Liz Ellis, who was the captain of the Australian team at the time. So I look wow. back and think how lucky I am to have those experiences because now in our competition, we've got girls who are hitting 23 and 24 and still trying to crack it and get out there on court. Well, I was just really lucky that there was a spot for me quite young and, and I grabbed it with two hands. That's that's amazing. Uh, I run workshops for teenage girls. Uh, and so sometimes we talk about life growing up and it comes up sometimes that some of these girls are so invested in their sport because it's something that they love, but then they miss that element of, you know, that social element. Did you ever feel like you were ever sacrificing or missing out on any opportunities or, you know, social time with other people? A hundred percent. So <laughs> I remember I spent my 18th birthday in Darwin. Uh, we had a netball game up there. My 21st was at the Australian Institute of Sport when I was on a Diamonds camp. So, so many of my milestones for birthdays in particular happened because I'm born in May. So that's kind of smack bang in the middle <laughs> season so I, I kind of missed going out and partying for your birthday and unfortunately I've missed a lot of my friends weddings my nana passed away on the weekend and I can't get back to her funeral so there's things like that that you just you sacrifice yeah at the time I was like oh, I really wish I could go to someone's wedding or party I've never mm. looked at like a world cup medal that I've won or a com games medal and gone oh man I wish I went to that party instead so that's what yeah, I tell exactly. kids all the time like it's the sacrifices you make to do something bigger or better and to have experiences that not everyone else gets to have and to be fair I'm really lucky that my friendship group is my netball girls so I hang out with them every day you know we wanted to go to a concert last week but we couldn't because we had a game on the next day so we make those sacrifices together a lot of the yeah. times it's not you're not just by yourself doing it in vain but yeah exactly. it, it does suck um and I think when you're a teenager in particular and you want to be really social it can be hard saying mm -hmm. no to your friends and I actually I don't keep in contact with a lot of my school friends because they kept asking me out to parties and I kept saying no because I had netball and then yeah. eventually they just stopped asking me but you know what that's okay because then I made a whole group of friends that I was interested in doing other things with in my sport yeah. And I think that that's also a great lesson for kids. There are so many young people in schools who might not have strong friendship groups, or maybe they do and they're scared that they might fall out uh, in years to come. You know, when you leave school, you get the opportunity to find people who are like-minded and interested in the same things that you're in. A hundred percent. I think FOMO is real and you can spend a huge portion of your life having that fear of missing out. And, you know, especially with social media these days, people are putting everything mm. that they do on social media. Whereas, you know, Saturday night or Friday night for me, it's, it's in on the couch watching some sport or maybe away with the girls. And I'm not really scared of missing out on things now because I'm actually doing things that other people wish that they were doing. So I like to flip it around exactly. and think about that. I'm doing things that other people uh, probably wish that they could do, but they aren't able yeah. to. And you know what? There's always plenty of time for partying. There will be opportunities when you can go out and have fun. It'll mean more to you. You'll have more fun because it's it's a bit rare. And so, yeah, when I do get to relax and do something social, I really appreciate it because it's not something that I get to do all the time. So, Caitlin, something that I want to talk about is is bullying at school. It happened when I was at school. Uh, it's happening now, and it's definitely not slowing down. You spoke about being really tall from you know at such an early age. How how was that for you? Did you deal with any bullying because you were so tall? 
Yeah, definitely. I think kids can be very cruel and they don't actually realise the impact that their words or actions can have at such a young age. And for me, I I was six foot at about age 11, which is when I picked up a netball. And for me, I guess being different and having a different body from everyone else made me really self-conscious. And that's why netball was important for me because it gave me a space where I felt that I fit in. And up until then, I, I hadn't really had anywhere that I felt comfortable in my own skin because, yeah, I couldn't wear the clothes that the cool girls were wearing. I, you know, fit into boys' clothes. I used to steal my cousin's clothes half the time. I was sporty, which lots of the girls weren't really into sport. They were into, you know, nails and makeup and friends at the time, which was um, a new TV show out, which is very (laughs) embarrassing. (laughs) But, yeah, it was really tough. And there were times that, yeah, I I hated myself. I remember vividly going shopping for shoes with my mum, nice dress shoes, and not being able to find a pair of shoes because I had a size 12 woman's foot at that time and just being in tears um, and not being able to wear jeans because none that I could find were long enough Mm. apart from buying a pair in America. And yeah, definitely at school that was pointed out by the kids about not having the trendy clothes and things like that. And being so different, it was embarrassing for me and I, I didn't like it. And I guess it did take me a long time to feel comfortable in my own skin. I often think of how much easier my life potentially could have been if I was normal or looked like other people when I was growing up, definitely. So what did you do to cope? For me, I probably coped by burying my head in a book. I I, I did a lot of reading. I was probably a little bit of a nerd in high school because for me, it was just a way to escape. If I was reading a book on a train, I, I wasn't making eye contact with strangers. If I had my headphones on, I wasn't listening to their comments. So it was, I guess, a way for me to escape, which is was burying my head in a book or putting my headphones in and trying to block out those things. Yeah, it was only probably till I got a little bit older and, you know, had to perform in front of people week in, week out and probably started to deal with those issues head on and about the things that I could control and the way that I reacted to strangers making comments about my height, which, you know, finally started making me feel a bit better about myself and a bit less self-conscious. And from then I kind of learned, I guess, that being different was really unique. And while people made comments about how different I was or maybe teased me at times, you know, I was actually really lucky to be different and it gave me so many opportunities that people who were normal um, weren't getting that I was. Exactly. Look at you now. <laughs> I know, right? I stand up um, and, and and play netball um, in front of thousands of people and um, many more watching on TV. Um, and I'm always proud um, you know, to represent whatever colour dress or whatever team or, you know, represent my country. Um, but through it, um, there was a lot of hard work to get to that stage. It did, definitely didn't come naturally to me. Yeah. Yeah. So getting into the game uh, so young, did you have a mentor or someone that you looked up to? Did someone sort of take you under the, under their wing? Yeah, I was really lucky. I, I, you know, some of the age gaps in my team, I was 16, I was playing with girls that were 10 and 12 years older than me. So those girls mm. instantly became my mentors. It was monkey see, monkey do. Everything that they did, yeah. I copied because I wanted to be just like them. You know, 10 years ago, they were balancing full-time jobs as well as sport and so yeah. or studying. That really encouraged me to do the same. I knew life for me wasn't just going to be on the netball court, that I really wanted to see who I was off the court as well. So they encouraged me to study on away trips, they sat next to me and edited my assignments and things like that. So um, you know, they would rush into training and they'd have a full face of makeup and a beautiful work uniform on and they'd get really 
quickly changed and then would jump out of the court and, and, and play a great game of netball. So for me, it was really inspiring that I could do both those things. And that's why I guess now that I'm a little bit older, I am always encouraging girls, even though the pay and what we do now is, is so much more professional, I still want girls to be inspired and to know that they can be so much more than just a netball or just an athlete, that they can do so many other things now. So they were definitely my mentors. I was lucky to have girls who supported me, who who checked up on me, make sure that I wasn't too stressed out because I was doing year 12 at the same time. Yeah, it's important to have that good support system around you. Mm. How did you manage juggling school and uh, netball and training? Was there something that you would do to sort of get yourself in the right mindset? Yeah, look, it's definitely trial and error for me. So funny, I'm doing an assignment on leadership at the moment and I had to talk about what my strengths and weaknesses are as a leader. And One of my weaknesses is I'm a people pleaser. I want to say yes to everything. I want to make sure everyone's happy. I turn myself inside out to make sure other people are relaxed and sometimes that takes its toll on me. I did have times where I was running myself into the ground, when I was trying to do too much and it took my parents or, you know, other girls at netball or my friends just to say like, settle down, calm down, maybe Mm. don't do that thing or you need to kind of find some space somewhere for some me time and to relax. And I think it's really important. If it was up to me, I would have keep running myself into the ground. And there's definitely been times after, you know, a Commonwealth Games or a World Cup where I'm absolutely spent and I'm exhausted. But I, I think that's just naturally how I'm wired. I'm not one to sit around and do nothing. And so for me, managing stress is is these guys having the animals um, and, you know, animal therapy is really, it's important for me. Um, taking the dog yeah. for a walk or I've got rabbits that, you know, I'll take out to a coffee with me, which is quite weird <laughs> for some so people. Cool. But, you know, you can chat to them and they don't answer back and they're always happy to see you. I just, I really like that feeling. But then also like being a bit kinder to myself mm-hmm. and, and just understanding like life is tough. Like it's not meant to be easy. And so yeah. getting frustrated all the time, if you're struggling, you know, particularly when you're an elite athlete, there's never an easy time because you go to training and you work hard and you are always trying to be better. And when you do get better at something, the drill gets harder or someone gets more mm-hmm. physical. Like you never actually sit back and go, man, I've nailed that. Or I'm really yeah, good at I'm that. Because some, it today. <laughs> yeah. Cause someone chucks another 20 kilos on the bar that you're lifting or, you know, makes the drill harder or adds another defender. So it can be quite a toxic mindset that you can get stuck in of thinking that you're never good enough or that you're, mm. you're ne- not getting better because it's so hard to see these results. So I think, you know, it's sitting down with other people and, and getting feedback from them or having a sleep in once every now and then, or saying no to something just to relax and have a little bit of me time if that's what you need. Yeah, yeah. I think that you're a really fantastic role model, especially for the young ones who are coming up in the sport. What's it like having a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old on the court? Do you sort of look at yourself as a mentor? Yes and no. Like I I love having the young ones coming in because I get really excited about their potential. And I think that's what the older girls used to see in me. I've been playing for a long time now and sometimes you can feel like you're going through the motions, but having new and young players come in really it changes the vibe and the environment and it brings that freshness and excitement back and every time I get to play with someone and it's their debut it takes me back to when I got to play in my debut and it makes me appreciate it so much more but then also makes me really want to make it as a good experience for them as possible so then they remember their first time really fondly like I did. Yeah do you remember vividly your first time on the court playing? 
For the Diamonds, yes. Mm -hmm. It was in 2008 and we're in Newcastle. I wasn't in the Diamonds team before and I remember getting a phone call from a strange number and listening to the voicemail and it was Norma Plummer who was the coach of the Australian team and she's like Seabass give me a call back and I was like cool called her and she said look we've got an injury to one of our shooters do you want to come on the next tour with us and I was like is she is this a joke like I didn't understand what was going on (laughs) and I was like yeah like of course like I managed to say like yes please I would really like that she's like cool then I hung up and I called my parents straight away and I burst into tears and they said what's wrong and I said I've been chosen to go and play for Australia and I just remember being really emotional and and like excited and crying and then I didn't think I was going to get in court time there was no guarantee to get you know it was just to come along and fill the shoes I guess and be an extra person at training and then um we're playing a series against England and um, myself and Laura Geitz, who I think we're up by about 20 goals. We got popped on in the last quarter of one of those games. So I was petrified. I fell over about five times, I think. I don't know why. I was just like Bambi on ice out there. And I was playing against one of my good friends now, Jeeva Mentor. So it's quite funny when mm-hmm. I look back on that experience and both of us young kids out there on court. It's, it's still a pinch yourself moment. There's photos of me and Laura after the game holding our flowers and Yeah, like I couldn't have told you how many goals I scored. I think we won, but it was just, you know, about being out there in the green and gold and playing with girls that I'd looked up to for such a long time. Yeah, yeah, it would be such a surreal experience and amazing that you can look back on that and see how far you've come now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, One of the bad things about being the youngest in the team is you get stuck with our team mascot. And so Thumper, which is this kangaroos, the team mascot. So on that on that trip, I got stuck with Thumper and you had to bring Thumper to everything, all the trainings. And I remember after the game, I accidentally left him. And seriously, I don't think I've ever been that stressed in my entire life. You know, when you, you lose something and you have that feeling like your, your stomach just drops. You feel, I, yeah. And you feel yeah. sick. <laughs> that was me because I left this stupid kangaroo at the courts after the game. So Probably the only downside to that trip was for the rest of, uh, you know, that tour, I was the girl who had lost bloody thumper. <laughs> the girl who lost thumper. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I know. And talk to me, you've recently moved to New Zealand for a one-year contract. How hard is it making decisions, especially when it affects like you have to leave family and friends behind? Yeah, ridiculously hard. I'm really lucky that my family is so supportive. It's tough. You have to consider lots of different things. Logistically, you know, financially, are you going to be able to survive? Is the contract worth it? Who are you going to be playing with? That's really important. Who's going to be coaching you? What can you do off the court to be a balanced individual? You know, what's the lifestyle going to be like? Are your family and friends going to be able to visit you? I think for me, this decision was probably the hardest I've had to make. I'm an emotionally driven person and I'm always led with my heart, sometimes to my detriment. And so for Mm -hmm. me, I guess I knew how unhappy I was with the Giants and in Sydney and I knew I needed to make a change if I was going to continue playing netball and continue being happy. So I'm lucky that I've always had that support. My family and my friends who have been like, go chase it. Like, what have you got to lose? Yeah. They've been really positive and supportive, which makes it a lot easier. But then when it gets time to get on the plane or you're packing up your life or oh, you're, like, you're saying oh. goodbye to people, you're like, why the hell did I do this? So I yeah. know, I know. But I think that's important. You need to do what is right for you and what's going to make you happy because I see it in so many people that stuck in a nine-to-five job just always – 
waiting for the weekend or waiting for a holiday. They're not happy in what they do. So I think that's a great message. Uh, and I 100%. think taking risks is important. Yeah, calculated risks, definitely. Um, you mm-hmm. need to think through them. To be fair, people have sometimes questioned my decisions and my motives, but I think at the end of the day, you don't know what happens behind closed doors and things that are going exactly. on in the public eye can be extremely different to what's actually being happening day to day. My personal values um i want to be driven by intrinsic things so not about the big picture or the end outcome it's about the day-to-day stuff like you just said it's the you know working to live versus living to work so for me it's the small things like um getting up and going down to the beach getting a coffee you know hanging Mm -hmm. out with my teammates after training the ability to sit down and relax and smile and love the place that I'm in or the people that I'm with, those are things that are definitely things that drive me. So they're a big part of my decision-making. I want to move on and talk about uh, women in sport and can it be competitive against one another? I guess it doesn't really only fall in the sport bracket. I've experienced it a lot in media and TV, quite aggressively as well. Have you ever experienced any sort of like competitiveness in the sports scene? (laughs) Yeah, my whole life is competitiveness. So from the (laughs) age of, you know, 11, when I started playing, it was all about playing against so-and-so, being better than so-and-so, making this team, Mm -hmm. you know, playing better than blah, blah. Did she shoot more goals than me? Does she look better than me in a netball dress? She's prettier than me. She's this, this, this. Like there's all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like my whole life is a competition and I'm really keen when I finish playing netball to find something relaxing and and go into a non-competitive environment because it does it messes with your head after a while you start to doubt yourself you are just Mm. in this headspace where you can never relax because you always have to be on because someone is going to push you out of your position but I think along that journey I've also realized that most things in life are a competition you know you go to buy a house and you're competing against other people you know you go for a job you're competing against other people so you kind of need to embrace that competitiveness and not shy away from it because you know life's tough and there's competition in life it's dog eat dog that is what it is and then thirdly I think embracing that competition and so you acknowledge it and then you embrace it and for me I think I always like to kill other people with kindness you know someone I don't particularly get along with is in my team or you know I don't like the way someone does something instead of making it negative or you know pulling away from them I actually just like to kill them with kindness and show them that that doesn't matter what you do it's not going to annoy me and so that's kind of my motto on the netball court I'll get pushed I'll get hit I'll get smacked I'll get grabbed but I just smile every time I catch the ball because I actually don't want anyone to win, you know, putting me off or getting me offside or upsetting me or frustrating me. So, yeah, I think there's always going to be that competitiveness in our life. That's just nature. Um, You can prepare for it. You know, for example, I'd like to work in the media one day. And so Mm -hmm. instead of just going into it, hoping that I can get a gig because I've you know, made a bit of a name for myself as a netballer. I've also been doing the degree. So I've got a broadcast and journalism degree as well. So it's been prepared as well. And knowing that when you come up against other people, you've done the work, you're prepared. And I'm really looking forward to one day having a little bit less of that competitiveness in my life. Yeah, definitely. So our mental health is obviously so important. Uh, It's as important as our physical health. How do you deal with, say, you know, you might have gone through something, a family, relationship, you've had a fight with someone. How do you not bring that onto the court and not let something like that affect you? 
Yeah, it's really tough, isn't it? Because yeah. there's some of the things you can't control. Uh, no. You know, you can't control a traffic accident on the way to Netball and you're late or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a fight with your partner, maybe you can control that. But, you know, some of these things, they just happen at inopportune yes. times. But I think, you know, the thing that you can control is just sitting and taking a few minutes if you're in your car to refocus, if you need to take a deep breath before you have a conversation with someone. I think for me, they're the type of things that I focus on controlling, the Mm -hmm. things that are in my power. So things that other people do or circumstances that I have no control over, I just try and let them go. And then I just focus on what I need to do for myself to be prepared. It's something that I've worked on uh, over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. I've not been backwards and coming forwards about going and seeking help from a sports psych in terms of controlling emotions and performing under pressure because you know, if you haven't done it before, you've got to learn. And we do so much work in the gym and training that if you're not doing the work up here and and working on your headspace and your mental game, you're actually not doing yourself justice. It's like going for a 10k run and eating a whole cake. You kind of like (laughs) just, you're not doing what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah, So I feel like for me, understanding that the mental side, not just in sport, just in everyday life is so important. It changes the way you deal with other people. It changes the way you go about your life. It can change your perspective on how you see things, whether you're seeing the glass half empty or the glass half full. For me, mindfulness, practicing my breathing techniques has been something that's helped massively over the years. And to each of their own, work out what works for you. Yeah. And talk about it as well. If you are going through something, it's it's not weak to go and seek help. Absolutely. I think embracing that vulnerability and really opening ourselves up to others, you can only get strength from. So I feel like, you know, when you're in the media and you're in the public eye, you always have to be perfect or you have to wear this mm. armor to protect yourself. But you know what? Showing people who you really are and letting the people that you want to in is a really powerful thing. I'm not yeah. saying open yourself up to everyone and every person's idea and opinion, but the people that support you and the people who are close to you, you don't need to pretend or put on a mask in front of them. It's okay to be vulnerable because them understanding that then allows them to be vulnerable with you and you actually get a better relationship out of it, I find. So, yeah, my best connections, you know, that I have with my friends through netball, it's not stuff that we've done on the netball court. It's sitting down and talking and actually having those deeper level conversations one-on-one off the court. And for me, like, you know, not being on court last year and having a really tough year and, yeah. you know, being injured at times, that's when you get this influx of love from people and it actually makes you feel so supported and appreciated. And so I think on the flip side of that, like if you notice one of your friends is maybe a little bit off or mm. someone that you know has got an injury or just, you know, something's happened, they're going through a tough time, don't just think about it. Like flick them a message. It means so much to someone just to have someone yeah. say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Like are you are okay? Totally. Just checking in, you know, that type of stuff. And it takes two seconds to do Yeah, yeah, 100%. Has there been any challenge with women in sport and equality that you've experienced? 100%. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that's been most of my career. Um, You know, when I first started playing netball, there wasn't really many elite professional female sports around. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, you know, back in 2005, this was when I signed my first elite contract we, we were pretty lucky with what we were getting and what we were getting was, you know, there was about 30 grand, which was being split between the whole team um, wow. of 12 players. And, you know, fast forward, you know, 15 years later, 30 grand is now the minimum wage for female athletes mm-hmm. in playing netball, which is, you know, amazing to think how far we've come. But we still have so much further to yeah. go. And I think, you know, now you're seeing the emergence of women's AFL, of cricket, of rugby, and there's more females who are able to play sport and get paid better money than ever. 
there's more com- competition and I guess Definitely. that competition is in the media, free-to-air TV, going mm-hmm. to sporting events and things like that, even, com- you know, competition over which athlete's going to go where. You know, we've seen lots yeah. of, you know, basketballers transition to AFLW and, um, you know, girls that play one sport can now actually go and play another sport that they didn't never had the opportunity to growing up. So I think that's really fantastic that there's now more options for females to play sport than ever and to do it at a professional um, level. But for me, I guess coming from netball, a sport that we have fought so hard yeah. to have a decent wage for now, I look at other sports, female sports in particular, who have come in and are trying to demand, you know, high wages straight away and mm. think, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Yeah, like, just like be I've really worked so, you, you guys have worked so hard yeah. to get to where you are. Yeah. Yeah. AFLW has the backing of the men's, which billion dollar industry for them, which is mm. fantastic. And, and so does cricket and so does rugby. Netball doesn't. So we've had to do all that hard work on our own. And I do get a little bit annoyed when I see, you know, female athletes who are earning obscene amount of money. And you know what? They deserve it. But I think also it takes time to grow a sport. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to grow from the grassroots up. And the reason why netball has been so successful for such a long time is that we've got young kids who are pushing up, who are reaching the elite level, and then there's more young kids. And it's just going through this cycle all the time. And so... You know, with some of these other sports, they don't have that grassroots level yet because they've never had they've never had the funding or to be able to do it. So, what I really want to see is just the patience to grow that grassroots level first, to then start pushing its way up. In five or ten years, it'll be there and it'll be a really strong standalone system. But you can't rush that. You know, I'm really proud of netball and what the players before me have done to help create this competition and help create netball to what it is today in Australia and globally. And I also take a lot of pride in doing the same for the generation that come after me. And you know what? They're probably going to be earning triple of what I earned, but I'm not going to be bitter about it because I'm going to be proud to say that I helped grow the sport to get to that next phase. Exactly. I absolutely love that. I love that outlook. Okay. Now I've spoken to a few other athletes. They've spoken to me about how they customize their ASICs. So some of them might wear two different colored shoes when they compete. Do you sort of do anything crazy like that? Or do you have a a trainer of choice? Off the netball court, I kind of lounge around like in my hoodies and my baggy stuff. And I really, I just, I love that streetwear type vibe. So, um, Anything that's mint green coloured as well, I'm all about. Sky Court ones with the lynch and green yes. on them or the Japan S with the lynch and green, I love. like Love them. Oh, they're just amazing. And you can put them with anything and they're so comfy. Um, so yeah. I do love them. In terms of on the netball court, I mm. like to match my shoe to my dress. So I'm a big fan of a white shoe because – one, white makes your legs look tanner and look good, feel good, play good. So if you look good, you feel good and you play good. And number two, the lines on a netball court are white. And so if you put your foot on one of them, you don't want the umpire to notice. So white blends with white. Whereas if you've got a real colourful shoe or a dark I'll shoe, the umpire can tell if you're offside or, yeah. So I feel like it's a two-parter for me. So at the moment I'm rocking out the ballistics, which I'm loving. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And Caitlin, if a young person or a, an older person were to approach you and you know talk to you about starting to move their body or find balance between you know your body and your mind, but they can't find that motivation, what sort of advice would you give them to start their journey? 
look, this is exactly what I go through on a daily basis. Sometimes it's exercising when you don't want to. And Mm -hmm. so for me, it's setting a routine. During COVID, I had to set a routine because it was really hard for me when I didn't have a training session to go to with my teammates every day because all of a sudden it was like, okay, here's your session. You can do it some point throughout the day. And for me, if I woke up and went, oh, I don't really feel like exercising and waited till, you know, six o'clock at night to finally do it, I can guarantee you at eight o'clock after I'd finished that session, I'd be happy and I'd be really stoked and I'd be feeling good about myself. But if I'd have done that session at eight o'clock in the morning, I would have had that feeling all day. So, you know, (laughs) it's hard. Motivation is one of those things. You don't want to do something, but when you finally do it, you're actually so glad you did it and you, you take that good attitude on for the rest of the day. So for example, this morning I got up at 6.30 to go watch the sunrise down the beach. And I am a habitual sleeper inner. I love to sleep. I love napping. And so this morning I went, no, I'm going to get up and go down to the beach. And I was so happy. It was so beautiful. I felt so relaxed and calm. I came home. I finished my uni assignment that I'd been putting (laughs) off. And like, I actually feel awesome now. And I'm so happy that I did that. But at 6.15 in the morning when my alarm went off, I don't want to do that. For me, it's about pushing yourself at the start because it's hard to push yourself and it might be uncomfortable and you might not feel like you want to do it. But then like give yourself the kudos after it and actually enjoy Mm -hmm. the moment and enjoy feeling good that you've done something for yourself for that day. Yeah. What does sound mind in a sound body mean to you? Sound mind, sound body, I think really encapsulates balance in life for me. And so it is understanding that those two need to be looked after if they're going to work well together. If you want to have a sound body, you've got to have a sound mind and vice versa. Um, you've got to take the time to look after your mental health if you want your physical health to, to be good. And, and same thing, you've got to get moving for that mental benefit. It feels so good after you've done some exercise. It's just that, that release of endorphins. You know, If you don't like exercising by yourself, get a friend and get involved and make it a social thing because I think that's yeah. why I loved playing netball when I was young. It was the social thing. It was hanging out with other people. It was having instant friends. So I think it, they're really closely aligned for me. And you know, when I'm struggling with one, if I'm feeling a little bit mentally off, Doing some exercise is what helps me get back on track. And same thing, if I'm not feeling great at training, it's doing something for my my brain, whether it be resting, whether it be relaxing, whether it be challenging myself in another area of court that really gets my body back on track. Yeah. And Caitlin, what is next for you after netball? Oh, look, I'll get that piece of paper with my name on it, which will be really exciting. Um, (laughs) I I have nothing to quit netball for to go straight into. For me, it's more continuing playing sport until it's something that I no longer want to do every day. And then it's finding something or some things I want to bounce out of bed to do in the morning. I think that's the most important thing for me. I don't, I actually don't care. And I know this is probably a bit blase to say this and I might change my mind later. I don't care how (laughs) much it, it, it pays. Yeah. It's just about actually wanting to be there to start off with. And I think after that, you'll find ways to make money or you'll find ways to support your lifestyle alongside that. Oh, you totally do. Yeah. Mm. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for sharing your sound mind, sound body story with us today. We have loved hearing all of your story. Thank you. Caitlin has such positive energy and I totally agree with her take on sound mind in a sound body. It is all about balance. That's it for this week's episode. Please subscribe to Sound Mind Sound Body Stories and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also check us out at our webpage at asics.com. I'm Tegan Nash. Thanks for listening.
coming up next week. Commonwealth Games high jump gold medal winner Brandon Stark has a lot to live up to, but he literally takes it all in his stride. As the Tokyo Olympics approach, I talk to Brandon about how he keeps a sound mind in a sound body. Exercise is the best medicine. We talk about famous family members. Yeah, he doesn't have a Commonwealth Games medal. Yeah. <laughs> if you're <laughs> so listening, I, Mitch. I think, I think I've got one up on him. <laughs> His ability to plie and time step. Uh, I'm not um, embarrassed. I did tap ballet and acrobatics. About Game of Thrones. I've never watched an episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we talk about how he deals with the pressure of going to the Olympics. I guess arguably this is my best year so far. Yeah, you're ready. I'm ready. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. Olympian Brandon Stark on Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories. Listen and subscribe to Sound Mind, Sound Body Stories now. Dropping Tuesdays wherever you get your podcasts from.